Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics. I'm Sarah Holland. And I'm Beth Silvers. And we're here to give you a fresh perspective on today's news. We are going to start today's podcast with the pearls and the top news stories of the day, which actually focus well on our main topic, um, which is intolerance on college campuses. Beth and I are very excited to dive into that later, but first we wanted to talk about um, how this came up. There's two big news stories happening. The first is in the University of Missouri. Have you seen this news story, Beth? Yeah, and you know, I haven't gotten a a deep understanding of the events that precipitated sort of the the main headlines, but I saw that the university has had a lot of racial tension, and the football team decided to boycott playing um, absent some kind of real action, which led to the resignation of the university's chancellor. Right. Well, there was some swastikas smeared in human feces, so that would definitely push me to boycott all manner of things. I don't think that was the only thing, but that was definitely the one incident I read about over and over again, which is pretty disgusting on, on all the, all levels. Right. And then I saw that there's also been kind of 
more tension rising because of the presence of journalists on campus now Mm -hmm. and the kind of reaction to having journalists on campus. Well, I thought what was really interesting was that it was sort of this collective act by the football team playing their economic cards, which is what really forced the action and forced the hand of the administration. It wasn't enough to just say the students aren't happy. It was you will lose millions of dollars because we will refuse to play if he does not step down. The only specific, I guess, demand, if we want to use that word, I've heard in the wake of all this, though, is for increased diversity in faculty and staff at the university. Um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where all this is coming from. Other, other than the swastika, do you, like, do you know what's going on here? No, I don't know if they feel like there aren't enough um, African-American staff. I just know I think that they felt which is the common theme with the next story we're going to talk about, Yale, which is the students felt like they weren't listened to, that the African-American and minority students felt like they were being ignored. Well, and of course, Missouri just has a lot of baggage around racial issues, Uh right? And particularly Uh in the past year. So it's a sad situation, and I think it illustrates how problematic, and we'll get into this more, but how problematic it is when the rest of the country has this window into what's happening on campuses, but it's a tiny and dark window. Uh-huh. You know, it's really hard for us to get a full picture and fairly sort of assess the situation. So quickly, well, let me summarize what's happening at Yale. Um, there were um, there was an email from the Intercultural Affairs Department sent out to the student body of Yale discouraging them from wearing... Um, racist, obviously, and um, more difficult to explain, culturally appropriative costumes um, during Halloween, which I think is great advice. I like Seth Meyers' um, approach. Is it ever okay to wear blackface? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. I like those are always very funny, but apparently still need to be explained, which is disconcerting. Um, So they sent out this email and then At Yale, each residential hall has a master, a person that is really there to shepherd the mental and emotional well-being of the students within the dormitories. And so there was a master and his wife sent a response to the the, um, Halloween email that said, basically, shouldn't we let these kids learn on their own? Really, should we be determining what Halloween costumes are appropriate? Where does this end? Should we, um, they're adults, they need to learn to offend each other or not. And then, um, yeah, so that was her email. <laughs> yeah, and, and she is a lecturer at Yale and an, an academic in her own right. In her own right. And so and part of her point was, where do we draw these right. lines? Because she studies early education and talked about how, you know, preschoolers pretend to be all kinds of things. Um, why do we put such harsh rules around college students and and sort of where, where, where does this become, where does this go from imaginative to offensive? Right. So her, um, and then apparently unrelated to any of this, there was a free speech program already scheduled that was co-hosted by this woman's husband and, um, the free speech guest speaker made a side comment about people's reaction to her emails because there was already a growing discontent that she had sent this email. Um, It's like an Indian village being burned to the ground or something terribly insensitive at a free speech program. 
Then that ballooned into a confrontation between the master and a bunch of students in which the students, um, several students were visibly upset, uh, were cursing at him, saying, who hired you? You're disgusting. How do you sleep at night? Because he was defending his wife's um, right to free speech. And so now you have marches at Yale and confrontations at Yale um, that seemingly center around this Halloween costume debate, but I think are about much much are about much more and that was probably our segue into the suit where we dive into issues in depth and in this week's episode we're going to talk about intolerance on college campus. Okay. So, back to Yale. Um, back I, to Yale. Back to Yale. I think that I've, I stumbled upon this story under the guise of these students are being intolerant. Once I dove in a little deeper, I really don't think that's what's happening there. What did you think? I think that there is not a simple, neat explanation of mm-hmm. what's happening at Missouri or at Yale or anywhere else. I think that it's concerning to see the, the the videos of student reactions to some of this. I mean, she was now, mad. And so apparently somebody got spit at on at the free speech forum. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's spitting, there's yelling, there's yelling in the face of, so, so let's go back to the Halloween situation, just to be clear with what we're talking about. There are videos of the master of this particular college whose wife sent the email questioning an email about um, cultural sensitivity in Halloween costumes. He's standing among a group of students in a circle. I, I watched as many of these videos as I could find online. And we'll post them on our Facebook page so everybody can see. He is patiently trying, in my opinion, to engage these students. Mm-hmm. And really understand what they found so painful and offensive about his wife's email. And if you read the email, I'm not sure there is a more respectful way to open dialogue that that questions the wisdom of sort of Halloween rules. I mean, I think, so, I think that there are, there is a discussion to be had between um, exploring identity, using Halloween subversively. I think that's all great. I think there's also a discussion between uh, explaining the difference between um, an openly racist costume and one that is borderline culturally um, appropriative and not appropriate, like appropriating somebody else's culture. I don't think everyone who dresses up as a Native American is racist in the same way that I think someone who is you know, dressing up disrespectfully as President Obama or Kanye West or somebody else. Like, I I think there's a difference. But I think there's still a problem with appropriating culture and Halloween costume, and that's a discussion to be had. What seems to me that happened is not that these students are like, how dare you have this conversation? What's, from my perspective, from reading the different editorials on the Yale Daily Review's website is, I think... um, whether or not once you get to Yale you are privileged, which perhaps you are, I think being a minority student at Yale, much like being in a minority student at many colleges, is a difficult position to hold. I think they feel 
their outsider status profoundly, as I imagine you would at a place like Yale. And so I think that to have had decades of people wearing racist things, saying racist things, to get as far as to have somebody just send a simple email that's like, hey, y'all, don't be racist when you wear Halloween costumes, and then to get this pushback, I can see why they're angry. I can see why they're like, you know what? For decades, people wore racist costumes. I don't think there's a problem with an email saying, don't wear racist costumes. Like, I'm not saying that I don't think, from my perspective, they were. I don't know if they were really angry about... Um, the way she formulated her argument or if they were more angry about the fact that like, are we really having to argue about this? Like we have to fight so hard to be heard on this campus and to um, feel listened to. Like there's a really, um, apparently there was a confrontation between the first African-American dean in which he stood for three hours in the quad and listened to these students and he was crying and they were crying and they, there was a, and he's left saying, they weren't feeling listened to. And I was being too careful in my position as an African-American dean. And they feel alone and they feel left behind. And there was also an editorial where this girl said, did you read this one where she said, I don't want to debate. I want to feel, I want to feel hurt or I want my hurt to feel acknowledged or something like that. Everybody made fun of her. But I mean, colleges, to think that we can approach everything because it's a college as this purely intellectual experiment is ridiculous. There's a lot of emotions tied up, particularly in discussions of race. And I can imagine particularly as a minority student in an Ivy League college like that. So I think that they're angry for a reason and should, I, I draw the line at spitting. I really don't think we should spit on people, but I, I get, I don't think it was really about like, she shouldn't have sent that email. I think it was, we finally get a, a, a position from the administration supporting us and feeling like, hey, be sensitive to the minority students. And this woman pushes back like, oh, we need to have a discussion about this. I I mean, I I get that. I get where they're coming from. I suppose that I do, too. I think that my hesitation is that she clearly framed this as an intellectual exercise, not as a parental figure, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some of what you hear in the video of the students speaking with the husband, the, the master, which I think is such a bizarre term, especially in the context of this discussion. But, it really is. But, but part of what you hear is, you know, students are saying this isn't about creating an intellectual space. It's about creating a space where I feel safe. And uh-huh. I think the word safe is being thrown a lot around a lot in these conversations. That kind of bugs me. Mm. I am not, I do not pretend to understand the experience of a minority student at Yale. And let me just say, as a white woman who's led a very privileged life, um, I think I would feel weird at Yale. I mean, I Uh think there's just socioeconomically, I think I would feel um, strange at Yale. So I can't imagine someone who comes in with an even more different experience than mine and what they must go through. So completely agree that there are, I am certain, legitimate grievances. I feel like most conversations can be had when expectations are clearly set. And what bothers me about the reaction to this email is that I feel like the author went out of her way to set those expectations Uh and to say, I am posing this as an intellectual question. And she was met with, no, we don't want to have an intellectual discussion about this. I'm I'm just angry. Yeah. And, and here's the thing about cultural appropriation that, that I think makes all of this even harder. It's a relatively new 
concept, at least in common American dialogue. And I think that cultural cultural appropriation requires a really deep dive into intent. Like you were saying, there are blatantly racist com- costumes. There are costumes where people are profiting from um, distress of other groups. I have tackled this issue mostly in the context of yoga. So I'm, I'm a yoga teacher, and I think a lot about appropriating um, some of the Indian and Hindu traditions wrapped mm, up in yoga. Okay. And I was having a discussion with other yoga teachers about this, and the one thing that I heard that, that I thought was like actual practical advice, this, this woman said, look, I just have to... Ch- check my intention. Mm -hmm. And if I'm bringing forth something that I feel a sense of respect and reverence and earnestness about, then I don't think I'm appropriating anyone's culture. If I'm doing something because it sounds cool, looks cool, I think it'll be kind of fun, then that troubles me. And so I've taken that guidance and just sort of run with it. So like I do not open my yoga classes with the ohm vibration Mm. because I just don't get it enough on a personal level to feel good about doing that. If I did it, it would just be because people walk into a yoga studio and sort of expect that. And I do find that appropriative. Now, I think other yoga teachers genuinely have a reverence about that. And so I'm not knocking anybody who does it. I just can't do it in a way that I feel good about. Right. So that's kind of the context that I have around this issue. I mean, I think you have to, the only thing I would say is you have to be careful because just because you have a good intent doesn't mean that something is racist. <laughs> is it racist? And well, so, that's right. But you have to have kind of the conversation right, to get exactly. there. Right. Well, it's, and I think that the problem with how the students were framing it is we can have an intellectual t- conversation where everyone feels safe and everyone feels emotionally supported. Like, I, you know, I don't think those are mutually exclusive situations. And so I I think what they're reacting to is I think for far too long, they didn't feel safe and they didn't feel emotionally supportive. And so you have this overreact, what seems like an overreaction, but which in the context of, yeah, and like we, both of us um, read a really great article that, like you said, we're looking at a very small window into this campus life. And we don't know. We don't really understand fully and completely. So to judge these, especially the young people, I'm sorry. Like, I saw some really nasty things said about the students at Yale, which I find really inappropriate. Be empathetic. What were you like when you were 19 years old and you felt like somebody was disrespecting you? So, I mean, I think that we just have a small window into that. But I don't think it's just about Halloween costumes. I think it's about, in that email, I think it's about racial tensions which is the the unifying story among all the, or the unifying thing among Missouri and here, and really our entire country. (laughs) Let's be honest. Racial tensions that went ignored for far too long, and so people are angry. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. 
Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I guess the only thing that I would question in any of that, I, I don't really question any of it, but but the one point that I would surface is this point about language. I wonder if it isn't um, dismissive of or belittling to people who have suffered violence and really extreme manifestations of racial intolerance to be classifying some of these situations in the harsh, harsh language that these students are using. Yeah. Not to diminish their experiences in any way. Well, and but each I individual, think... one of them might have had a different experience. You know, she might have had a harsh, violent interaction and we just don't know about it. You know what I that's mean? That's right. That's tr- that's completely fair. I mean, I it's, it's just really difficult when you can't sit down and have the entire conversation. And what troubles me about the videos is it looked like you have faculty there who are at least trying to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how, so how do you bring everybody to the table for that emotionally supportive dialogue? Well, and I think what's kind of tied up in this whole interaction is this idea that colleges have become a space, particularly among liberal colleges, of intolerance. And this was something else that Beth and I encountered. There was a blog or a a community post on BuzzFeed from a conservative member of 
um, both Beth and I's alma mater, Transylvania University, in which he basically said, I am social pariah because I'm a conservative, um, which was very interesting. He had some strong, um, oh, actually, I couldn't tell if it was a he or a she, but um, basically, you know, people won't, if I support Matt Bevin, they won't talk to me. I don't, I lose friends because I'm conservative. Transy is this, you know, it's a liberal arts school and it's this liberal, um, super liberal place and people of conservative aren't welcome. There's a liberal intolerance for conservative beliefs. And I, um, above and beyond this one student's individual experience, I've noticed I'm not the only one. I mean, there have been some recent, particularly around commencement addresses where there's protest and they don't want, um, the head of the IMF to talk and they don't want, um, Bill Maher to talk and they these students stand up and say they can't be our commencement address speaker because basically we disagree with their political beliefs. And I think that it's really difficult. I I don't I don't support that. I think that there's one thing to offer a platform for a, a discussion you disagree with. I think that you can cross the line, like Nicholas said, well what would you do if Transy had invited Bill Cosby to speak as a commencement address? And I was like, well, you know, that's not just a political belief I disagree with. That's a harmful actions he's taken or harmful belief system that I feel is sexist or racist or whatever. So I, I mean I don't I don't know where the line is, but I think that there is a line between we allow you to speak even though we disagree with you and we find your beliefs harmful. So I think there's some of, the, I think there's a lot of that mixed up in this discussion with Yale of all oh, these entitled millennials think that everybody has to agree with them. There was a, I think there was a definite um, undercurrent of that in this discussion. I think it's, um, I didn't feel that when I was at Transy and I started as a super conservative freshman and then switched and not because I felt pressured or like people weren't going to be my friends. I mean, clearly we're still friends and we, we were um, um, at other ends of the political spectrum. But I'd be interested to see what you felt as a conservative at Transy. Yeah, I never felt um, like a social pariah. Now, to be fair, I wasn't super political during that yeah. time in my life either. I mean, yeah. I paid attention, but not to the extent that I do now. Um, I was more wrapped up in other things. I also spent most of my time in my junior and senior year in the business school. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I probably wasn't as exposed to as much of the liberal thought as um you know, people in other disciplines might like have been. Like the politi political science major that I am. Exactly. Or philosophy or, you know, whatever. But I, I do think that I will say now that most of my friends from college are liberal. Um, I definitely do get that sense. Like we talked about after the uh, Kentucky election with Matt Bevin, that, you know, th there is not a place for Republican ideology with a, lo a lot of my peers from college. Um, now, we are still friends, but maybe we wouldn't be if I took all of that more personally. Mm. I, I think that it is hard. It, it seems like we are just more siloed than ever because of, maybe it's because of technology. You know, you can just find your own echo chamber everywhere. And, and I think I live in a community that is almost all Republican. So it's, it's easier where I live today than it might be in Lexington to well, be a and Republican. Well, then not surprising at all that this happens at college campuses. We called it the transy bubble, and I'm sure our experience was not unique. I mean, that's right. you filter and you group think and you have these um, situations, which I think can be both good and bad, right? If you're trying on a new political ideology for size and you feel supportive and you feel 
like you have you found this community of people that think like you do it's encouraging as opposed to if i was trying to fight my way as a democrat growing up as a southern baptist that would have been a little bit harder as opposed to when i went to transy people said things that made sense to me and i followed along with this group that had already formed itself but i would hate to think that anybody liberal or conservative felt like they couldn't try on these beliefs for size and i think when you push this in and i would say intolerant position of we will not offer a stage to anyone whose beliefs who we disagree with like you don't because you're offering a commencement of speech address and even an honorary degree to the head of the imf doesn't mean that you think everything she does is correct it means that she has a, a worldview that is clearly important if nothing else and i think learning is about what's important not just with what you agree with and um so i i'm i've in the past, been a little dismayed by that approach. I don't really think that's the correct approach. Um, I do remember maybe at one time at Transy there was discussion of Ann Coulter coming, and I was like, all ready to chain myself to things. But um, <laughs> I mean, I think she's a different. I mean, a shock jock as opposed to an objectively important world figure to me is totally different. I just think that. Well, there's also, I mean, there's also value in things happening and people chaining themselves to things. Yep, That's a absolutely. lot of what college is about. And and I think you're right that listening is not endorsement. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you bring someone in and you want to hear their perspective. I mean, I don't want to hear Ann Coulter ever because no. I, I think she's very tarnishing to the Republican brand. I don't I agree you, with the things that she says. Humanity tarnishing to humanity. <laughs> yes, the human brand as well. But 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 that doesn't mean that she shouldn't have a forum to mm -hmm. speak. And sometimes you know maybe there's something to call out of it, even if it's just rejection of those ideas. That's well, valuable. Listen, I mean, this can obviously just get to ridiculous proportions. Like I remember Lena Dunham talking about how she went to, Oh, where did she went to college at? Um, the super, it's like super liberal university in Iowa or Ohio. It's in a, it's out in the, that's not in the city basically is what I'm trying to think. I can't remember the, the name of the college, but they protested her. Right. <laughs> she wasn't liberal enough for them. <laughs> and that to me is just, Wow. I don't even know where to go from there if you're protesting Lena Dunham because they felt like she was culturally insensitive because there was diversity issues with her show. But like, geez, who would be good enough? I'm not really sure anybody would. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. 
Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, I hate the term political correctness, and I and I hate that we've set up this framework where you're on one side or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this kind of gets back to our whole pantsuit politics theme of nuance and trying to have respectful discussion. I do think we have to value perspectives that differ from our own. So I think back to law school, um, I was in jurisprudence and we were having a conversation about abortion and it got a little bit heated, which is good, Uh right? That's the kind of discussion you should be having in law school. This very conservative Christian guy in my class pipes up because someone is making the point of, look, Roe versus Wade is decided. Why are we even talking about this today? Why can't people let this go? Why do we keep having challenges to these laws? And, and this guy stands up and says, and, and his voice is kind of trembling, like you can tell he's very passionate about this. He says, look, if you believe that abortion is murder, as I do, then you think that there is mass genocide happening in this country every year and no one cares and no one's doing anything about it. And of course, you're pursuing that to the ends of the earth. Now, look, I don't I don't agree with that framing at all. That really runs up against um, the way that I think it's productive to have a discussion about abortion. But I'm better for having heard that remark. Mm-hmm. You know, it really made me stop and think about things. It made me understand people on the other side of the table better. It, it didn't change my position, but it did um, 
make me question. Right. And and that is a remark that I think somebody might get spat upon today for making yeah. in a university setting. Well, and I think politically correct has become this all-encompassing term. Politically correct doesn't mean it's it's to me personally what politically correct means is that you think about what your words mean. You think about the fact that we don't say racial slurs and we don't make sexist remarks because it makes people feel like an outsider or it hurts their, I mean, not hurts their feelings because I think that's too, uh, people react negatively to that. But I, I think there is a value in that our society, that we are careful speakers, that we think about other people's perspectives before we open our mouth and spout out. Like I heard a NPR piece about Italy and how there's no political correctness surrounding homosexuality there. You can make fun of homosexuals and say, you know, use gay slurs all day long. And you have a culture in which people don't feel like they can be openly homosexual and where, and when they commit suicide because they feel, you know, boxed in and, and persecuted. And so I just think, I think there's a value to that. I think there's a value to thinking about there are words we need to take off the table. There's words that we need to think about how they make whole swaths of our society feel like. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that just because I disagree. I mean, there's like real offense based on your identity and there's, we disagree with something and it makes me mad that you think that. That's not what politically correct means, you know? That's not, or at least that's not what it means to me. Yeah, I mean, I think you can be both considerate and provocative. Absolutely. I do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what kills me. I was just telling somebody, I was talking about at a Democratic meeting, and I said something not nice about a Democratic candidate. And somebody was like, well, you can't, don't say anything negative about a candidate. And I'm like, why? People will get on, Democrats will get on Facebook and you know, classify entire swaths of our population as ignorant, but I can't say something negative about one of our own candidates. Are you kidding me? Like maybe we should think about how we talk about the opposing side in huge population groups before we're so concerned about, you know, being honest about the humanity of one of our candidates. Like, I don't, I feel like that the priorities are out of whack here. If we're worried about who we're going to talk about and who we're going to say offensive things about, like, I really hate all that language on Facebook about ignorant Kentucky and, all the, you know, all my fellow citizens are so stupid for voting for Matt Bevin. Like, it just, oh, it gets under my skin. Like, if you want to be politically correct, be politically correct about that. Don't call fellow members of the human race ignorant jerks, even if some of them are. <laughs> yeah, or, or make assumptions about where people are coming from. And this is why it's troubling to me that our college campuses are erupting in the ways that they are, because that should be the place where you do this very thing and you do it well and you hone that skill for adulthood. Well, that's, but you know why, Beth? Because you and I, I've learned, and I'm not saying transy's perfect. We had an idyllic, idyllic college experience. And we I did. Think, I think the problem with a lot of universities is the idea that their number one priority is to be a safe space for intellectual discussion and growth is naive at best and blatantly wrong. I mean, Yale doesn't just care about their, this is a, they have a billion dollar, um, Oh, forgot the word. Endowment. Thank you. They have a billion dollar endowment. They're not just care. They don't just care about their students. Let's be real honest about that. Well, and let's be honest about the fact that we had an idyllic experience at Transylvania because we were um, the target population for Transylvania at the mm-hmm. time we were there. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, we were... We were young white women from uh-huh. Western Kentucky. It, it it was an easy place for us to be. I'm not sure that 
you know, African-American students or they didn't. Uh, Tracy Clayton won a, wrote an amazing thing on BuzzFeed about what it was like to be an African-American student at Transy. Yeah, it's so I mean, it's it's hard and, and there are going to be challenges for everyone. And, and I never want to be in the seat of pretending to speak for a group or an individual who I do not understand. So I hope none of our comments are interpreted. No, absolutely not. In well, that, and what I meant is way. not that it's idyllic and that it's perfect. And then I think that transy at least when I was there more than other places, because there's not a lot of research because we don't have billion dollar endowments because we're not an Ivy league school because of a lot of reasons, our administration had a better, had a, um, easier job prioritizing the way students felt. Whereas I think when you're steering a ship like Yale, like that's not really the only thing you're thinking about. You, they have a lot of other things that they're thinking about. Yale is a, is a, you know, it's a huge, huge, huge historical Ivy league school with, like I said, this billion dollar endowment. There's a lot on the line here beyond how students feel listened to. And so that's where I think role clarification maybe and expectation setting is important because clearly in the situation at Yale, this master sees his role as both being emotionally supportive of students and intellectually challenging them. Uh And maybe there needs to be some conversations about structure Uh in these contexts. I mean, maybe you, maybe you need to be wearing either a, I'm a safe emotional space for you or I'm here to push back. push your thinking. Right, right. No, I totally agree. Well, I think that we um, are not going to solve this, but I think we did a great job tackling it in the suit section. The um, issues at Yale and the intolerance um, on growing, maybe intolerance on college campuses. Our last segment uh, we call The Heels, where we'll share something that's making our lives better. So I'll start today. I am really excited. And this is not a commercial. We are not being paid to say anything here. If only. If only someday. (laughs) Feel free to call us about that. No. Um, (laughs) So I have like probably 10,000 pictures on my iPhone and really struggle with what am I ever going to do with all of these? Mm -hmm. And I I almost feel like I'm going to have fewer memories preserved for my children than my parents did because I don't go through that exercise of printing them out and putting them in books. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are like a million ways to solve this problem. The simplest one that I have found, though, I am so excited about Mosaic. Have you used Mosaic? I have not. Okay. Mosaic appears one day like a breath of fresh air in my Instagram feed. And usually I am annoyed by paid advertising in my Instagram feed, but I looked at Mosaic and there was something about the the photo that came up in my stream that I thought was really enticing. So I click on it. So it's an app and it's a free app and you just put it on your phone and you go through your Instagram photos and you designate, I don't know, 20 of them or something. And in the mail comes to you in like two days. It was so fast. This gorgeous little book. It has a black linen cover that has all these little cutouts in the front. And you see tiny versions of the pictures that are full size behind the cover. But it looks like a mosaic on the front. It's so beautiful. It came in an adorable box. It would be a lovely gift. It was like $20 shipping included. Everything about this was simple. It was just simple, simple, simple. A, A really quality result. I loved the paper that the pictures were printed on. 
The quality of the pictures was good. And I mean, I want one of these for like every season of our lives now. I just thought I've used other similar apps and nothing has come close to this. So well, Mosaic is my tip of the week. I was going to share something else, but now I'm shifting because you've inspired me. So I use an app that I really like. I really love anything that feeds from Instagram because really that's my main social media platform in which I'm really documenting what's going on in our lives day to day. So I use this really great app called Pictly. P-I-T-C-P-I-C-T-L-I-I. I have an inter- interlooper into our podcast. Amos is here. Um, so we call... I got this from McDonald's. Okay, shh. And so we have Pictly, and it's it's like that, only instead of a book, it's a framed piece of art. Oh, so nice. it's a photo with a frame that you can send to somebody, and they will wrap it for you. So it shows up, and it's this beautiful little framed photo um, wrapped up with a gift card, and it, and again, it's also like $20, and you can feed it, you can pick the picture right from your Instagram, like for Christmas and stuff, this thing is primo, you just, I mean, I, I sent my friend a photo I've been meaning to send to her forever, and it took me less than five minutes, showed up wrapped with a gift card. I love that. Mm-hmm. I bet Amos has made an appearance in some of those too. Oh yeah, well, he's, he's pretty dang photogenic. <laughs> so uh, Mosaic and Pictly we'll put links within our show notes and on our Facebook page and thank you for joining us on yes, thank you. our second episode of Pantsuit Politics not counting our special edition of course yes stay tuned for more We would be eternally grateful if you could find a minute or two to rate us on iTunes. It helps other people find Paint Suit Politics, which we hope you enjoy listening to. Our intro, interstitial, and outro music is 4th and Starlight Road Instrumental. My Minden is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 International License. Huge thank you to my devastatingly handsome husband, Nicholas Holland, who executive produces Pantsuit Politics. We'll see you next week.